Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. I'm really excited about the new series we're going to start looking into today that really just fits in with the exact situation where so many of us are at. As I continue to talk with uh, our people every day, there's a common set of sentiments coming out. It feels like we're in uncharted territory. Uh, it's, some have described it as living in an eternal twilight zone. It's like, when, is it day, is it night? We don't know where we are. And the, the sentiments that keep coming out amongst our people are, well, I'm feeling like I've moved on in life. The, the isolation period has come and we've sort of found this transitional thing out of there and, we, and we've moved on. Um, and we found a new sort of normal. We have mixed work locations. We've made it work for us. We're getting by. But included in all that is this uh, often a general sense of lethargy. Uh, the, the, it's like the drive, the fire has gone out of so many of our hearts and, and spiritual energy levels have become low. And some of us are really becoming worried about uh, the, the thought of re-entering life at the pace that we were living it before. And so anxiety is growing at the same time as lethargy is growing. So it's a very interesting space that we find ourselves in. And as we begin to consider reopening our services on Sunday mornings uh, from the 9th of August, uh, we can start to feel like, well, I know I want it, but I'm, am I up to it? And it's just kicked off a few emotions in so many of us. And I just want to really go there because this coming out phase um, that we're coming into now is a deeply significant one, especially with the knowledge that so much of this is out of our control. We might come out of this phase and have to quickly re-enter it again if we get a second wave of the virus, of the virus and so on. And so there's a lot to consider. And uh, I think it's great for us to look at this moment of incredible uncertainty in our life. And 2020 has really been the life that we weren't uh, ready for. It wasn't what we expected. And we've had to respond, so many of us, in different ways. And it's been interesting watching um, the statistics globally of church folk who um, would normally attend a church every week and yet the online thing, it, it hasn't worked for everybody uh, and so many are drifting away. Some hearts are spiritually scattered. It's almost like there's been a diaspora of God's people. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, what the church looks like globally uh, as we enter the next 12 months. I think there's going to be quite a considerable shift in where people go to church, how people go to church, and we're going to talk a lot into that over the coming weeks. But there's a great verse in Proverbs 29, 18, which talks into this sense of lostness, this disorientation that so many of us are feeling. It's uh, Proverbs 29, 18, and it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. It's a fascinating phrase where the people lose vision, they cast off restraint. And, and we can use this in the wrong sense. And, and it's, it's tempting for us to say, oh, it's talking about having a vision for your life. And, and management gurus love to use this verse in that sense. But what it's really talking about there is um, the, the word for vision in Hebrew is core zone. And it actually means spiritual understanding. And in this context, an understanding of God's ways. It's, it's saying where we lose a revelation of what God is up to, of God's ways, we cast off restraint. Um, and another way to translate that uh, cast off restraint means that we perish or we, we dissipate, we disorientate, we get lost, it's saying. Where we, we begin to lose an understanding of God's ways in our life, we cast off restraint. In the Hebrew Old Testament context, it's talking about a lack of understanding about the law. We start to do what we want. So you can see how this works. But when we're lost, when we're disoriented, um, we begin to disorientate ourselves from life. We don't know 
where we're going, we don't know where we are, and we don't know how to take next steps. And so we become uh, experience what we experience right now uh, with so many of us. And I don't know whether you've ever been lost. I've only been lost a, a couple of times in my life. And um, I mean, that real comprehensive lostness where you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're going. And I want to use one as an illustration this morning. I'm thinking of a time uh, in one of my early trips into Kenya, into the slums of Kenya. And this uh, one slum was called Kibera. It's 1.2 million people, if you can imagine that, in an area of one square mile. And it's a, it's a slum that's uh, the deepest poverty that you'll experience globally. It's incredible marginalization. It's incredible disease, hardship, incredible um, segmentation within those areas of uh, tribalism that's uh, not so much by family and, and history, but tribalism by uh, gangs and violence and, um, and religion. And so it's a flame front, uh, literally, between uh, Christianity and the, the Islam faith in that uh, country. So it's a, it's a highly polarized place. Um, it's hit the world news many times, uh, for instance, where they've overturned goods trains that have tried to go through there on their way to Uganda. And so it's a flashpoint of so much. And we were in there with a, a young adult, but predominantly a young adult missions team. And we were going in there to strengthen the church uh, that was there. And um, our driver that day took us into Kibera. And you need to be very careful in there because there are no roads as such. There are just uh, dirt paths that are quite narrow. They're hemmed in. Um, there's people swarming all around. And they tend to get narrower. And it's like a, an unmarked maze. So you can drive in there, and if you're not quite sure, you don't have the history of knowing where to go, you can find yourself caught at the very wrong end um, of, a, of that maze, and it's very hard to get out. And that's exactly what happened to us. Our driver, full of confidence, took us completely down the wrong path. And after trying to navigate for 45 minutes into Kibera, he, he had us embedded in what was the most violent um, sector of that shanty town. And so uh, as the roads narrowed and narrowed and to the point where they were just one car width wide and we had to even fold our mirrors in to get past the, the, the sheets of tin and people, we found ourselves locked in and we weren't quite sure what to do because we were being looked at by a hundred sets of suspicious and cranky eyes. And, uh, and I, as uh, the leader of the trip, responsible for these young adults. And it's amazing what happens in that lostness. We didn't know where we were. Uh, these roads weren't marked. There was no map. Uh, they all looked exactly the same. Um, there was no easy way out. We couldn't just do a U-turn and get out of there. And, and so what starts to come out of a person in that lostness is fascinating. And um, someone immediately started shouting instructions to the poor old driver who was already incredibly distressed. Uh, another person reacted by going into their hole. They just opened up their laptop and started working on a spreadsheet of all things. Um, someone began praying out loud, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, dear Jesus. Uh, and they couldn't get much more than that out in every sentence. Um, some mad person, uh, that would be me, started looking and asking if anyone had an AK-47 machine gun under their seat. Uh, that was never going to end well. And so all these reactions came out. And, um, you know, it, it, was, it was just the fight, flight or freeze syndrome, whatever we would normally react to, that's what we were all doing at that moment. But this sense of lostness got us disoriented. We didn't know what to do. And so all we did, rather than respond, was begin to react. Finally, after a little while, we realized we need to pull our heads together and we realized we need to just reverse out of here as slowly as we can, ask directions of someone who looked reasonably friendly and just be calm, not look out the windows and lock eyes with the people who would normally incite violence. And we got out of there. It took us about an hour. 
But it was one of those experiences you never quite forget. As you know, this could have gone all wrong. This could have ended up on the international news. Uh, you know, a dozen white people found themselves in just the wrong place. And so in that moment, when you're disoriented like that, when you're lost, when you're in trouble, as they say in Kenya, the, the, the thing you don't do is rely on yourself. And when we're lost and disoriented as we are now, relying on your own wisdom, relying on your own insights, probably won't give you the answers that we need. Uh, we need to know the big picture. We need to send a drone up and get an idea where we are. We need to somehow see the landscape that we're found in. And that, so then we can determine what our next steps will be. You see, isolation, this period that we've been through, and it's gone on for, for months now, it's led many of us down a narrowing alley such as we found ourselves on that day, with no clear way out uh, and all the options looking pretty dangerous. And that lack of clarity, that lack of vision, uh, leaves us into a point where we tend to cast off restraint. We begin to perish inside. We might feel um, overwhelmed at re-entering life. We, uh, we're unsure what to fight for now. We, we've lost our desire. We're wondering, why do I feel so sluggish? Uh, you know, in this twilight season, we've lost our way. But if we can begin to understand God's ways, and this is where I want to go for the next few weeks, we can restore that vision. We can know what our next steps are and, uh, and enjoy the walk with God through what may even be uh, a crisis situation, but still walk with confidence with God. Psalm 103 verse 7 says, uh, God has made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. So Moses somehow got behind the veil to relationally engage with God, to see and understand his ways, where the people, the Hebrews who are wandering in the wilderness, they got to see and observe God's works only because their, uh, their, their posture with God was not relational. It was much more master-slave dynamic in their heads. And so these people were floundering. They were lost. They were walking in circles. And the, the way they viewed God or the way they engaged with God uh, ensured that all they could do was observe what he was doing, but not understand why. And that meant they couldn't do anything without being told. It was like, you need to follow the cloud because you, you, you don't know how to make wise choices on your own. Whereas Moses was invited uh, behind the scenes. He could understand and cooperate with God because there was a relational dynamic that changed that whole thing. And we can see that religious thinking enables us to uh, celebrate and observe God's works, but relationship invites us to understand his ways. And our relationship with God is like that. We're invited to understand in many ways uh, how he works, why he works. He invites us behind the veil. He'll always be beyond us. We'll never be able to fully understand him. But there are principles that have never really changed, like ancient pathways that we can follow. He's put them there for us. So how do you take next steps when you begin to feel lost? Well, the first one, and here's an easy one, is uh, you need to check your luggage. You need to rehab, look in your bag at what you're carrying and decide, do I need to keep this? And because uh, sometimes on whatever journey that we've had, we're going to pick up baggage along the way, aren't we? We're going to have experiences and learnings and, and habits that we've gone into. And we need to reassess them and say, well, are these lessons, are these things that we're doing, are they valid for me now? And the COVID situation has presented that for us. Um, it, there's been huge upsides uh, for so many of us and downsides as well. There's good luggage where we've said, this has restored for me simplicity in life. I'm not as frantic. I'm not as busy. Um, it's 
restored the uh, focus on relationships. And you don't want to lose that. You check that baggage and you go, yeah, that, that's going to stay with me in my luggage, so to speak. I'm taking that with me. But there's other things as well that isolation has given us. It's um, this sedentary life that we're talking about. It's, it's a feeling a bit stuck in the mud. It's going to take a lot to get me out of it. There's low passion in my life. There's a sense of isolation. We don't want to take that with us. That's not going to serve you very well now. And we really do need to say, I, I don't want that in my luggage now. I'm just going to shave that off. I'm going to take what's good and I'm going to leave behind what's not going to serve me well. Because these old habits and these ideas, they need to be tested and we've all got them. So we need to have a look every now and again at the things we've picked up in life and expose them to that periodic questioning. Do I add these things to my rule of life? Do I say this is now part of my life that I'm going to keep? Um, or do we realize this is working against me now? I need to really shave this off and intentionally work out of this. Perhaps we need to keep the skills uh, that got us somewhere in life through pushing and striving a little bit, but then afterwards lose that obsessiveness and just take the lessons that we've learned. It says in Ephesians 4.22, Paul's talking, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires. So he's saying, talking about the old nature, saying that old life, there's so much of that you need to put off. And by putting off, it leaves you room to put on something new. But I love the turn of phrase he puts in the end. It's been uh, uh, your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires. Very interesting there. He's saying your desires are there, but they can be deceitful. They can lie to you. They can tell you, they can push you the wrong way. Um, our desires and our passions, which we, we so often say are the reason why we engage in something because we're passionate about that. He's saying your passions can lead you down a wrong path. They can incite you to take a wrong step. They can take you down a place where God is not, even though your sense is maybe that's where he's leading us. See, our passions and our determinations, our desires can be a useful slave, but a terrible master. So we need to begin to understand, okay, what parts of my life, what drives, what desires now, which may be something, for example, like a drive not to do anything, not to get uh, over busy or, or to disengage from people, so the positive and negative. Is that a truth or is that a lie? So what I'd love to do now is just take a break and just reflect on that as we listen to a song. What have you picked up in this, this last few months? What, what have you been through? What are you going to keep? What do you need to set aside? And just have a think about that and reflect on that. Because as we come into the next stage of looking at next steps, we need to understand, I need to do this and travel lightly. I need to check my luggage. So let's enjoy a moment reflecting on that now. I will 
I don't know about you, and I know not everyone's engaging, but plenty of us are. House Church. I love House Church. I'm loving Sunday. It's such a different experience for Trish and I. And um, we've got, as I've said, a couple of groups coming week about, but even that's being mixed up now. And so every week there's someone new at our house. And um, a few weeks ago, uh, on the last message I did, uh, we were using the application section from the website. And I asked the question amongst our little group of people there, what is compelling us? Are you being compelled by Christ's love? 2 Corinthians 5.14 was the verse where Paul says, Christ's love compels us. Fascinating concept. Uh, how does love compel you? And it's interesting responses to questions like that. You know, are, are you compelled? Um, what's compelling you? Is it Christ's love that's compelling you? And it led us down a very interesting path because we started talking about, well, don't know whether it's Christ's love, but it feels like Christ's love. There's our personal values. Our values correlate with God's values about the value of people and so on. So my values compel me. Sometimes it's the power of my conscience. So I just know what's right and wrong. And so I feel compelled to do that. 
Sometimes it's just a sense of missionary zeal or um, all, all these sorts of things. But we're finding uh, it's not doing the job the way it used to. All the things that used to drive us, don't know whether it's being compelled by the grace and power of God or not. We're just doing what we've always done. But now we're more tired. Now we're exhausted. Now it's not enough. And it led us to realize in our own little conversation that it's one thing to say where our hearts are full and it's fueling our mission. That's what we're about here. But if I'm getting exhausted from the mission, is my heart really being filled? Because our lifestyle in our society has been such that the Christian life that many of us live by habit and routine and relationship and just the rhythms of our life has been sufficient for us to live our Christian life out in the setting in which we were. And we were unaware, was it God's strength or my strength? Unsure, but what we know now is the strength that we had is not the strength that we need because life is pushing back harder. Our culture is pushing back. The questions are coming out. And so we're beginning to realize that for many of us, we need to re-look at, are our hearts actually being filled? Because it's one thing to, to go out and do the stuff, but if it's in your own strength, it's not going to bear fruit and it's not going to last too long. So how do we fill our heart? How do we grow? How do we actually um, learn to be compelled by God's love? How do we partner with him in that way? This is some of the big questions that many of us are facing right now because our old form of Christianity is just not doing the job anymore and it's not looking like it's going to either as life continues to change. And so how do we take these next steps? Well, Kimmore Church for a little while now has had a strong growth track in place, a, a track where people can grow spiritually. And we haven't really talked much into it, but now is a good time for us to begin to do that. Um, but I want to do it in a way that can land for us in our everyday life, especially. We have uh, principles and materials and processes that are well tested and, and documented, have been tested by theologians and so on and practitioners around the world. And, and so it's, it's the right idea, but sometimes we need to just frame that in a slightly different way. And what I want to do for the next couple of weeks is tap into a book by a fellow called Chris Hodges, it's a great little book called What's Next, and that's the theme of these, uh, this series that we're doing now. Because Chris is a great guy, and, he, and he's presented what are essentially the identical principles to what we, we have behind the scenes, but it's, it's almost like a Cliff Notes version. It's, it's like a skim off the top that invites you into more. And so I want to use that framework, to, uh, which is essentially our framework as well, just to articulate where are we on this path of life, um, and how do I take the next steps in there? And so we're going to enjoy that. And uh, that resource is going to be available to people to buy on their own, work through. We may even run a discipleship course uh, online or something to use that material later on this year, which I'm very interested in doing. So let's look first when we consider uh, next steps, because we're talking about next steps on the pathway of your life. You're on a journey somewhere. You're a, you're a pilgrim. You're walking with God somewhere. And so we can feel in these moments like we're alone. But have a look at what it says in Jeremiah 6, 16 about this very topic. It says, This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Don't you just love the turn of phrase there? The ancient paths are there for you when you're confused and disoriented and you want to know your next steps. God's got ancient paths in place and you'll find rest for your soul. And the human soul has never changed. Uh, the way we do things, the, uh, the, the form of life has changed, but the function of our hearts is actually the same. And it's those same ancient paths that God gave us, those pathways into his presence, those pathways into wisdom, they remain. And so 
to understand those, that's where we need God's wisdom, God's revelation as we go forward. That rest for the soul that we need. It cures that uh, eternal restlessness, this lostness that we have. I love what St. Augustine once said. He said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Saying without relationship with God, without a revelation, we cast off constraint. We become restless. And so when we're at those crossroads, as we are, confused a bit, a bit harassed, uh, um, a bit asleep spiritually, a bit fearful, the ancient paths will take us into certainty. They'll take us into rest for our soul. So what are these ancient paths? Well, lots of people have asked that question. And that's exactly where we're going to go over the next few weeks. It's very exciting as we look at, well, how is it that God works? Where is it that he leads us? It's a wonderful journey and I'm looking forward to it. But today, as a form of introduction, there's, there's another question we need to ask. Where do these ancient paths head? Where are we going? Where, what's, what's the end point of all this? Is there an end point? How does this work? And so I want to give a couple of quick principles there. And the first one is this. God's ancient pathways, if you look at the full narrative of Scripture, begin to understand it's a path into who you are becoming. It's not a path into what you will do. That happens along the way. There are waypoints along the way. There are assignments along the way. But the calling is not to a destination. The pathway of your life is to who you are becoming. See, our mindset as Westerners is temporal. We think in terms of what can I achieve? What can I accumulate? What can I be known for before I die? It's temporal. It's the way we defer to thinking. Uh, but God's ways are eternal. He doesn't do anything in the temporal sense that way. That's not his priority. Uh, and so he builds who you will become because very little of what you're going to do is going to end up with you in heaven, but who you are goes on for eternity. And so the assumption there is that what you do will overflow from who you are. Doing comes from being. Um, and who you are carries on forever, but what you do here won't particularly. So it's a, it's a, a mindset of eternity. It's, it's a pathway into who we are becoming. And when we look at that mindset, we've also got to understand a second key point, that God's calling directs you without defining you, if you can understand that. He gives us a direction. He sends you on a direction, but he'll very rarely define what that will look like at its end point. Because God won't constrain you. He'll say, here's the path before you. It's heading that way. This is true north for you. This is what I've created you to become. How much you become depends on how you, you walk that walk with me. There's no constraint on you. There's no definition on, on what that's going to look like, but it's going to, it's going to be this direction. And so he places no limit because God's working eternally. There's no time frame limit for him. So who you are becoming is who you will continue to become after this life and into the next. It's a fascinating process. Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power in us. In other words, if we start defining anything, we've just put a limit on what God can do. And he wants to go far beyond that because time is not a constraint. That's why he declares so often over us, if you've ever received a prophetic word from God, it just seems so beyond what human strength could achieve. The promise just seems to go so far. It's because he has no limit. He's just giving you a new waypoint to help you navigate your own true north. So it's exciting stuff. And you see that in the life of Abraham. His name was Abram, which meant the father of a family. And God said, that's the definition of humanity. Your, what I have for you is far more than you being a father of a son. He's saying, no, you're Abraham. You're the father of many nations. 
There's no limit here. Father, yes. Constraint, no. And so God directs you without defining you. And when you understand the pathway that he has us on, that perspective changes everything. We understand that, okay, I have an assignment now. This assignment will start and it will probably end. But that assignment is just part of the broader calling that he has for my life. And if you begin to read uh, Psalm 119 in that, in that context, you understand what it's saying. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Don't you love that? A lamp for my feet, a light for my path. So their lights weren't like our lights. They only shone a certain distance, just enough for you to know your next step. When we want God to speak to us about our direction in life, we want to know what's the end game here? Where's it going to end up? What's my goal? He says, no, I'm giving you a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. You're not going to see way ahead like our modern day torches and headlights go. It's saying, no, you're going to know what the next step is and you're going to have to walk that with me and I'm going to show you how to not stumble on the way. And so what that reveals to us is that uh, God will show us a way, but God won't enforce that way. He still gives us the choice. It's our step to take. We need to be intentional about taking next steps. We don't fall into the way we should go. We walk in the way that we should go. And so when we are determined to do that, it's an intentional step. It's an intentional next step into where we're going. It's a path into who we are becoming. So that's a key point. And one more key point to understand is the mindset of Scripture and the mindset of the Hebrews is that the path that we're on is a cycle. It's a spiral. It's a season where we go round and round, but scale upwards as we go. We revisit seasons regularly throughout our life and build uh, cycle on cycle, season on season. The ancient paths for these people were repeated moments and seasons. The ancient paths went around and up. And uh, it says in Ecclesiastes 3.1, which illustrates this so well, it says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. So he's saying there's a time and there's a season. The Hebrews had, I think, 27 words, which we translate as time. They were saying that there's, uh, there's a, a, a sector of time available and that sector of time will come around again as a season. There's, there's a moment to work this way and then that will end, but it will come around Again, season upon season, cycle on cycle, generation upon generation. It's all integrated in their mindset. And so God's designed for your life when you contemplate next steps. We shouldn't be afraid of revisiting at a new place the steps we thought we took some years before because we're just coming around as we're supposed to at a new place and at a new level. And so uh, these steps and these seasons in your growth uh, are very important for us to know. And I want to just uh, bring these out very briefly today and then we're going to flesh them out over coming weeks because uh, there are certain ways of God, there are certain mechanisms of the human soul that need to be processed before we're ready to take the new season. So let me flesh them out for you now. The first one is called knowing God. And this is a pathway that we all need to take and then revisit in a whole new way. The word knowing God doesn't mean knowing about God. It means knowing. The Greek word was gnosko. It means relational, intimate, dynamic and growing knowledge. It's an experience, not just an understanding. So you can't say about God, I, I get God now. I've got him figured out. That's not what it's talking about. And good luck with that anyway. It's talking about a relational knowing. Uh, in the original versions of the Old Testament in Genesis, it said that Adam knew Eve. We're talking about the intimacy of marriage there. It's a knowledge based on relationship and experience that continues. And so this is a season that we find ourselves coming into. 
And people who have just come to faith, for example, they've, they've experienced this uh, desire to know God. It's, a, it's a, a season and a moment that they walk through and then so they can place their faith in Christ and then begin to move on and to grow. But we come back there again. We, we, we come to know God in new ways throughout our life many times in cycles and seasons. The next season, once we move on from knowing God in a new way, and this is a moment that we walk through is go, wow, I've just spent this time in my life and I feel like I've fallen in love with Jesus all over again or I've discovered a new facet to life. Once we've been through that moment, we transition into another season of finding freedom. It's because the knowledge of God, this communion with God, this intimacy that we've got with God catalyzes something in our soul where it brings freedom to our life. It brings spiritual growth. Because every step of spiritual growth, if you look at it as pragmatically as I've had to over the years, is actually a step of relational closeness deeper into Christ. We grow because we've changed the form of our relationship. There's more of him that we know. There's, there's less of us in that relationship. And so it forms this dynamic of changing where we repent of old ways and we transform within. So then we transition from uh, finding freedom into this next phase called discovering purpose. And this is a season of refocusing on new elements of calling. And you'll see on the screen we're showing up as I'm speaking, uh, our growth track that uses words like uh, exploring and reforming and, and refocusing. And this, this session now of, of, of this season of discovering purpose is one of refocus, where all that inner work and that transformation that we've just experienced, it begins to show buds of new fruit. There's new capacities now, there's new desires now, there's new uh, intention to get into the kingdom in a new way and, and start to spread this love around. And so this refocusing of calling changes the path that we're on, that we thought we were on. We come in in a whole different place. That then begins to transition into the fourth season, which is making a difference. It's a season um, of bearing fruit, of reproducing, of multiplying. It's where we take these, these new buds of what we've grown into, this new purpose and focus that we've found, and saying, now I'm ready to impart that to someone else. Now I'm ready to multiply, to take who I've become and impart that into the lives of other people. That's where the missional experience begins to come into that, where we take in an incarnate way, Jesus in us, out into the lives of other people. And most people will stop there. Most uh, churches would stop there on a growth track. But we've discovered through uh, life, scripture and hard practice, there is one more season that we all need to go through periodically in our life. And that's the season of refreshment, the season of taking a break in the sense of I need to recreate my soul. It's a season of recovery. It's a season of stripping away in some ways uh, where we're, pr- we're being pruned by Christ. If you read John 15 there, where he says, I need to, for you to be more fruitful, I need to cut off some branches. And it, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's restful, but it's that season of being recreated in our soul. So these five seasons we navigate, uh, exploring, uh, you know, uh, reforming, knowing God, uh, refocus, recreation, all these things. We need to come and go out of those seasons. And you'll find that in practice, normally within a five to 10 year span of your life, you will have navigated those seasons. And then as you come back into them in a new place, you find I'm, I'm revisiting that dynamic, but in a different way. And so you'll notice too in those seasons, there's times to pull back and there's times to push forward. There's times to do and there's times to be. That's what Ecclesiastes 3 was talking about. There's a time and a season for everything. And our personalities will drive us, they will compel us to focus on one season more than the other. Or, or we'll say, well, I'm a doer. I just, I don't care about that inner stuff. Don't take me there. I just want to get on with it. 
others will say, I need to pull back and rest. I'm a reflective person. And, uh, and so I need to experience that breathing with God all the time. And both stories are valid, but both are inadequate. Both need the other. I'll never buy for a moment anyone who says, well, I'm just a doer or I'm just a beer. It's, it's, it's not valid. You need to, to, to fuel the doing. You, know, you need to be a, be a beer. And, if, and to be a beer, you will automatically bear fruit to being a doer. And so we can't let the, the tendencies of our flesh determine the pathways that we take. The ancient paths will always have a rhythm to them, the rhythms of grace. We push forward, we pull back. I'm a son who relaxes, but I'm a co-heir who pushes forward. And so these seasons of life and these transitions help guide us into the next steps in our life. So I wonder what season you're in, and we're going to sort of wrap it up there today, but I wonder what season you're in. I'm hoping um, we, I've incited some thoughts about, oh, okay, I can see where I am in my life, and how do I get out of this space? Well, in the next segment that's after House Church, in the application section for House Church groups, um, we go there. We talk about how do I know what season I'm in? How do I know what desires trigger that? How do I know what deceitful desires could be leading me off track? So for today, I just hope God's inspired in you uh, the faith and the optimism to know, ah, I may feel lost, but he's going to give me my next steps. So I look forward to sharing over the next few weeks. I'll bless you today. I'll bless you with his presence wherever you are. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Bye for now.